2: Good morning. This is Bennett Kelly broadcasting live from the Internet Law Center here in downtown Santa Monica, the heart of Silicon Beach. Please be seated. We have a great show for you today. I just got back from Sacramento where we had a victory in scaling back uh, a dangerous email bill put forth by Dan Balsam that we'll be talking about on another show. But um, today is a special show Um On June 5th, in a packed ballroom at the Ambassador Hotel in Los Angeles, Robert Kennedy stood victorious in the California Democratic primary for president. He finished his speech saying, now on to Chicago and let's win there. A few moments later, he was fatally wounded and died that night. Now, I was five years old, and that is my very first memory. I remember running home from Little League to watch the funeral. And growing up in an Irish Catholic family in New England at that time, it is hard to convey just how omnipresent the Kennedys and their legacy were. He had always been a hero of mine, and so now on the 50th anniversary of that tragic day, um, it is my great pleasure. An honor to have my favorite law school professor, <laughs> Peter Edelman, and who was a former Bobby Kennedy aide and friend, to join us um, to discuss his legacy. Um, professor Edelman is a professor at Georgetown University, and uh, he worked with Bobby, starting with the Justice Department, all the way through the campaign and continuing even after his death, working with the Robert F. Kennedy Memorial Human Rights Foundation, and even later working with Ted Kennedy's 1980 campaign, which was my first presidential campaign. And so, Professor Edelman, I'm very glad to have you.
3: Oh, I'm so glad to be with you, Bennett. It's terrific.
2: So, um, I guess let's just start at the beginning. Um, you, You were... Out of law school, you clerked with the Supreme Court, Justice Goldberg, and you got a job as a young lawyer working at the Justice Department. What exactly were you doing?
3: I was a special assistant uh, under a, a man named John Douglas, whose father was a great uh, senator from the uh, state of Illinois, Paul Douglas. Um, and uh, John was the assistant uh, uh, attorney general on the Civil Division. So, uh, I, it was a great job. I sat with him with, the with the senior people, uh, in, in talking about, uh, all of the priorities in the civil division. And I got a, a chance to, uh, do some, a couple of cases in the course of the year. And then when there were major things, uh, like there was a railroad strike, uh, that happened, uh, in that, uh, period of time, um, and, uh, so I, the John needed somebody to do something very quickly, and I was allowed to to uh, write a, a brief uh, on that. Uh, there was a, a situation where a civil rights division lawyer was arrested by uh, some law enforcement in the state of Alabama, saying that that person was there uh, without having a, a license to practice uh, in Alabama. Alabama, which of course is absolutely stupid and wrong, but. That doesn't matter, uh, and I got to write a, a memo on that. So it was it was a great year, other than other than the fact that it was a terrible year. Yeah, exactly. Because two, two and a half uh, months into that uh, was when President uh, Kennedy was killed.
2: And what was that like? I mean, I don't know to what what extent did you have interaction with the Attorney General at that time?
3: Uh, very little. I had met him when I was uh, uh, at the Supreme Court. Uh, he he came and had lunch with us, and I sat next to him. and And so he didn't know who I was, but but I chatted with him a little bit. Uh, and then, uh, of course, when he lost his brother, he didn't. He was grieving, uh, as we know, uh, and he didn't come around very much for oh gosh, a number of months. So uh, he uh, was always a hands-on person who w- walked the halls uh, and he would uh, pop into somebody's office and of course they would be <laughs> terrified and he would ask them what they were working on and they would say something or other uh, so uh, he of course during that period of time he stopped so I only uh, as far as a personal relationship uh, my recollection is I was was invited up there with a bunch of uh, lawyers who had been hired during the Period, uh, and so he was meeting people uh, in in groups of uh, ten or fifteen or twenty lawyers. Uh, I own, didn't really. Get, I was fortunate uh, having been uh, there at the right time in the Department of Justice. Uh, I got interested in working in his campaign for the Senate, and because I was there, I was able to get a job in the campaign.
2: And uh, I did how did that happen?
3: The... How did that happen? You got the, you got the campaign job. Well, uh, you got to be in the right place in the right time. That's, that's kind of it. Uh, I had taken the job at, at, uh, a law firm, uh, in New York. Uh, I never showed up. I don't know if my name is still on the door down there, but anyway, uh, the, um, uh, I uh, said to my boss, John Douglas, who was very close to Robert Kennedy, that I was interested in working in the campaign, if that could be worked out, and he worked it out. Perfect. So I and uh, Adam Welnsky, who became my, my sort of uh, partner as a legislative as- assistant, uh, uh, he got both of us, John got both of us into the campaign, and uh, Adam was writing speeches and I was doing research. So that's how it was done, and it was was quite fortunate and quite terrific.
2: And of course, it was a successful campaign, and uh, from there, you you joined the Senate staff as a legislative. Aide.
3: Yes, and and uh, so uh, it it turned out I would have taken the job uh, accepted anyway Um, but I assumed that I would be uh, reporting to somebody who would then be reporting to the senator and all of those people uh, with one exception who was the chief of staff um, these were men in their 40s they had to make money so they could pay the the college uh, costs and that sort of thing and it turned out that uh, Adam and I were reporting from the day one uh, reporting directly uh, to Robert Kennedy and not expected and quite terrific.
2: Definitely. And uh, so what is one of your earliest memories in working in the Senate? Uh,
3: The the first thing um, that I remember that I was specifically involved in um, was that President Johnson decided to close a bunch of veterans' hospitals. Um, and for reasons that we thought were suspect, uh, three of them were going to be in New York State, uh, and we thought that was not an accident. Uh, that you know, uh, Johnson, President Johnson, and uh, Robert Kennedy had had hooked uh, in uh, in hostility uh, quite a, a while before that. Uh, so um, I uh, w- was assigned to work to see if we could uh make that stop make not not happen uh and I got connected uh, to the head of the VA uh, cuz he didn't he was uh, of course working for Johnson but he didn't want these things closed so we had a sort of uh, uh under the table discussion about strategy and so on and um uh, I uh did everything uh, things that I thought up things that Senator told me to do uh to put pressure on and and to be supportive to people uh who from the community and who worked in these three places and make as much noise as they could uh to to uh, uh anybody who could make a difference basically the people uh, in the uh veterans administration and the white house um so uh I got my you know I I, I sort of got my feet wet uh, doing that and and uh I I didn't sort of know any better so I yelled at a lot of people and uh was <laughs> made myself <laughs> totally obnoxious uh and I think it I think we did some good uh, a
2: a good a good lesson to learn now you mentioned yeah, well earlier. I might
3: have learned a, I might have after that learned a little get to be a little more smooth but anyway yes
2: uh, uh, so you mentioned earlier that the senator was, well, the, when as attorney general, he was he was grieving, and there seems to be this kind of arc of, of Bobby Kennedy from 1963 to you know eventually 68, where he slowly is coming out of that and, and kind of finding himself in a new way. Um, you know, where was where was he when you when you joined the Senate?
3: When he joined the Senate uh... he was he was pretty much what he was going to be as a senator the arc starts uh, really, uh, and you know, there's a lot of debate about this. Was he a bad guy? Then he became a good guy. Uh, you know those arguments, and right. and uh, it's of course clear that he uh, was enormously affected uh, by losing his his brother. Uh, but there's a there's a long history, and he and he was. Uh, there's no question he was uh... a difficult person in the nineteen fifties brusque uh... and and uh... things about joe mccarthy all that kind of stuff uh, but also personally he could be very hard on people uh... so they say uh... and that was all gone by the time uh, i met him but what was there all the way through uh... starting uh... in in high school he he was always um uh... interested connected to uh... Uh, uh, relating to kids, to people who were on the edges uh, in our in our country, um, so his friends. Uh, it, 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 you could just see it in a lot of different things. And w- when he became uh, attorney general, uh, fresh from having gotten his his brother to be president, the first thing he did as attorney general. Uh, was to start, uh, he put his high school friend David Hackett in charge of what turned into the, the uh, putting together the war on poverty. I mean, Robert Kennedy was really, really did the basic work through uh, a, a set of people who uh, David Hackett brought into it. Um, so there was a lot of what he was going to be uh, before. Uh, And then uh, he loses his brother, which clearly is not only the the deepening, but it's also now he's uh, on by himself. Uh, It's up to him now. Uh, He's he's his own person uh, as opposed to what he had to do in his responsibility with his brother. And when that became visible, him on his own, Uh, What you saw was a person who was deeply interested in poverty, deeply interested in race, deeply interested internationally in in things like uh, South Africa and getting rid of nuclear proliferation, and that was all, all there. Now, the, what happens in the course of this, from the beginning of 1965, when he when he when he is sworn in, of course, is the uh, development of the escalation of the Vietnam War, right. and he he uh, was already <laughs> having doubts about that, but of course that changes as as the war gets worse. Um, so there were there were things that, in relation to the events, uh, uh, made some changes in in what he was pursuing and what he was saying. But the basic thing was there when I met him.
2: And it, it, I guess it's 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 hard to ask this question, but you know, but for Vietnam, would would it seemed like Vietnam made ultimately is what was the call that pushed him to run for president. But but for that. You know, you think he would have done that, but that's kind of a hard question to ask in envisioning those 1960s without Vietnam,
3: yeah, yeah, well, I don't know that that's hard. I would guess a uh, pretty good guess, I think that if there was no Vietnam, uh he would have waited in line. um you know, I'm sure he was intending to to run sometime, but that would have been nineteen seventy two That's what I think would have happened on that.
2: So in 1966, you're on a plane, and you have a conversation with a senator, and he asks you the important question, uh, why, why am I dragging myself out to California?
3: Yeah, drag my ass, he said. And oh. um, print, anyway- it's changed. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that is what he said. Uh, so, th- just as uh, in line with our conversation, uh, this is '66, so he's already been in there. Just it's March, a little bit more than a year, but but it's a, a terrific uh, illustration of who uh, the Robert Kennedy as as Senate was. Um, And so what had happened was uh, I had a call, it just happened to be me, uh, I guess it was maybe one of my issues, but uh, from a man named Jack Conway, who was the the right-hand man to Walter Ruther at the uh, United Auto Workers, uh, and uh, Conway said to me that that, uh, the Senate Migratory Labor Subcommittee, uh, get that, that there was a subcommittee on migratory labor, (laughs) Uh, anyway, and uh, Robert Kennedy was was a member of that, and so Conway said Ruther would would, would appreciate it if Kennedy would go to California and get national visibility, as he would, uh, about the uh, the farm workers and and uh, success of having a, a union of, of farm workers, there'd never been a successful one, and this was the best possibility because because Chavez uh, was such a terrific leader and so charismatic and and all of that. So um, I went into his office, and this was a thing about how he learned things. I mean, there's certainly many things, like talking about his, his, the development of his views about Vietnam. Um, but but uh, there were a lot of other things where he, he was just intuitive. And I walked in there, and I said, uh, I had this call from, from Jack Conway, and Walter Ruther would like you to go, and he said, fine. And I'm saying to myself, fine, don't you want to ask me anything more than that? Uh, and uh, so uh, I maybe, maybe said a couple sentences uh, more, but he didn't need it. He, he, he got it, except uh, when we got the, the point of the, of the, the quote in, in your question is he gets to the plane and we're on the plane and we have taken off. And uh, it has apparently not sunk into his head about why we were doing this. So he said, why the hell am I dragging my ass all the way to the other side of the country? And then he gets there, and this is the really important thing. Uh, he just he gets right into it. Uh, and so you there was this uh, remarkable uh, story, which, which uh, you probably know, Bennett, but... Um, the The uh, sheriff uh, yes. is testifying as we walk in, right? You know the story, um, and uh, so Kennedy sits down and and he's sort of getting his, uh, you know, uh, getting what's going on, and he hears the Senate, uh, the, the sheriff saying, uh, "So I I arrest them um, to um, protect them," and. Kennedy says, "What? He he said, do you uh is there any crime? You arrest them to protect them." Uh yeah, he says, "I'm, you know, I'm not like the sheriff in Mississippi. I don't want anybody hurt here." Um uh, and Kennedy says again, uh, what's the crime? Did, is there any crime? Are they trans trespassing? No, they're on the side of the road. Uh, and so, uh, you're arresting them when they haven't, uh, they, they haven't uh, done any, any, uh, crime. Um, uh, and then he says, uh, uh, sheriff, uh, it's lunchtime here. So we're going to take a break. And while you're having lunch, uh, I would like you to read the Constitution of the United States. And, of course, the place goes up because the audience there are all farm workers and people who support the farm workers. Very few people are growers and so on. so anyway, that's that's the story. And he, that's when he, he meets uh, Cesar Chavez right after that, right after in that lunching break, and they, they find each other in the parking lot, and they start talking, and uh, b- very just instantaneously uh, they become friends, re- really friends till death.
2: And it's become a very important um, friendship in, in a couple of years. Um, but we're going to take a short break, and we come back, um, we're going to talk about the Senator's trip to Mississippi. You're listening to Cyber Law and Business Report only on webmasterradio.fm.
1: Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. Are you looking for the best in WordPress speed, security, and scalability? WP Engine is a digital experience platform for WordPress, powering digital experiences for large brands around the world. With easy-to-use site management tools and powerful do-it-your-way development features, WP Engine gives you the flexibility to build it your way. Improve your SEO and conversion rates with a faster site on WP Engine. Learn more on WPEngine.com. Looking for a better way to get more traffic and interaction to your Facebook page? Imagine Facebook interactivity on your page like you've never seen. Introducing your new Facebook marketing fix, webmasterradio.fm we're everywhere the best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here this is the Cyber Law and Business Report only on webmasterradio.fm
2: and we're back and we're talking with Georgetown professor Peter Edelman um, about Bobby Kennedy 50 years later and um, so we just finished talking about his first meeting with Cesar Chavez. And the next year, 1967, at a Senate hearing on um, the war on poverty, a young 27-year-old lawyer from the NAACP in Mississippi, Marion Wright, invited the senator to come down to the Mississippi Delta to see the poverty there. And Professor Edelman joined the senator in that trip. And can you tell us about that?
3: one of my uh, the really the major uh work that i uh, gradual, gradually uh focused on was about poverty uh, and a lot about race um uh, we were doing uh, hearings all over the country because uh, it was necessary to uh, reauthorize the, the uh, Economic Opportunity Act, which was the legislation uh, that is, we call the, the War on Poverty. And there was a lot of politics about that, and the, the, the committee wanted to go around the country and, and shore up support for it uh, in, in, in cities and in r- rural areas, Indian reservations, uh, all of that. So uh, one place that, we, uh, that the committee decided we wanted to go was to Mississippi because uh, there was a, a Head Start program there that was in fact the largest in the country, and uh, the, the state government had refused to take the federal money, and so the feds had, had directly sent the money down to a nonprofit that was independent of the state and therefore uh, really a, a big uh, nuisance or worse from the point of view of, of the power brokers of the of the state. And so they were making as much trouble as they can. And the point was to get national visibility for uh, that very large is the largest employer in in the state and it operated in 21 uh, counties. So it was it was really a big thing. Well, we got down there and, uh, the, uh, person, uh, and I had come a couple of days uh, earlier and had gotten in touch with her and, uh, had talked with her, had dinner with her and so on was, was Marian Wright to whom I'm now married. Um, uh, and, uh she uh told the, the the committee when she uh testified that well yes there were these issues about uh CDGM that's the uh, the acronym for the head start um but she said i really want to call your attention to the fact that, that we have now in mississippi families children uh, who are severely malnourished uh, r- really uh, uh, just an awful situation of, of hunger there and so we went up to uh, the Mississippi Delta uh, the, the committee did uh, and and uh, actually uh, and uh, Marion was kind of a along with a man named Amsey Moore who was a a, a postal, a postman, but but also very, very lively civil rights lawyer in Cleveland, Mississippi. So he took us to see these families, and it was just stunning. Uh, There were children... who were brought, the families brought them out and stood in front of their shacks. uh, And there was, there were cameras and so on. You saw these children who were in in rags and, and who had swollen bellies and, and uh, sores on their uh, legs and, and uh, arms that, that weren't uh, getting any better. And it was just, just awful. And uh, Kennedy, and he, he talked because he always he talked to the kids, and he listened to the kids, uh, really listened to the kids, and asked them what they had to eat, and and of course the answers were not much, uh, they hadn't had breakfast and that sort of thing, uh, going into the houses and seeing there was nothing in the, the uh, uh, whether it was an icebox or or a refrigerator, uh, mostly icebox I think, um, so he was walking with me across. Uh, to the next house and he said to me i've never seen anything like this uh uh he says it's worse uh, than places i've been in a third and world, fourth uh, world uh, uh places and in maybe that was a little overstated but he was so all of us were so shocked by what we had seen um and so um he just, when he came home, and this is the way he always operated when when he met Cesar Chavez, he became Cesar Chavez's representative, and I did the staff work, uh, for the farm workers in uh, in Washington, in the Department of Labor and, and, and elsewhere. And similarly here, his immediate... Uh, uh, step was to go to the Secretary of Agriculture and say you've got to get some food down there Um, and as long as he uh, was as uh, alive, which was another uh, slightly more than a year, uh, he spent a tremendous amount of time trying to make the, the question of hunger into a, a, a national uh, issue that would have some results uh, to, to stop this. And this is what, what happened with him. Time after time, he would there would be something that he would learn about, that he would see, and add to the list. Nothing ever went off the list. Uh, but especially the question of hunger, which was so shocking. And and when he comes to uh, uh, campaigning for president, and he talked about hunger in Mississippi every place he he went because because he thought it was um, <laughs> so shocking and also that people should know about it.
2: Right. This is America. This shouldn't be the case. Yeah. Now yeah. you you would later tell the senator you think he should run for president. Why why was that? And what was his first reaction?
3: That he should run for president? Yeah. Well, uh, the, the the starts uh, in the fall of '67. Allard Lowenstein, who was an activist and and somebody that the senator, all of us knew uh, quite well, uh, and um, uh, Robert Kennedy d- didn't agree to do it. Uh, Lowenstein was saying, have got to have. We've got to have somebody who will mm-hmm. run against uh, Lyndon Johnson." um and uh robert kennedy didn't agree to do it um which was very unfortunate but but he uh, i'm sure he was well i know he was very very torn um he kind of had two different Uh, things tearing at him, tearing at each other. Uh, One was that he was, one part of him was from the old politics, got his president, his uh, brother uh, elected president. He was a former
2: campaign uh, manager at heart.
3: Yeah, he was his campaign manager. I mean, they talk about ruthless. You've got to be tough guy. And one of the reasons why, along with all of his caring uh, about uh, people who marginalized in our country, uh, he had this other side and they all worked together uh but he he was also very uh tough and so in, in relation to running for president that was saying his father uh the way he had done everything uh, up to that time was uh, you don't do things that you can't win only do things if you can't if you are going to win them and then uh you know this is the time when we have uh cause uh, cause politics and um he that's the other part of his brain. And uh that says you do it on principle. It doesn't matter whether you're gonna win or lose because it's so important you you have to you have to try. You have to uh you take it up and do it. And so uh ultimately uh and there were there were uh, steps along the way, but uh, because uh Tet came along, the Tet offensive uh at the end of, of January, uh which really turned everything Yes. Um, and so finally, uh, b- before, just before, and I was with him uh, two days before the, uh, uh, the the primary in New Hampshire in March, March 12th, and, and uh, he went when uh, March 10th, uh, I was with him because uh, again, Cesar Chavez, he, uh, had, he had been doing a uh, hunger strike. Uh, and uh, the uh, Chavez's people had called me and said that uh, Cesar says he won't start eating unless Robert Kennedy comes and breaks bread with him. And Kennedy said, well, he would come. Uh, and on the way to there uh, on that Sunday, he he asked uh, two of his closest uh, friends and former colleagues, John Siegenthaler, and Ed Guthman, and I was there, and we were on a plane uh, flying from Los Angeles up up to uh, the valley there, Delano, and he told us he was going to run for president. So he had finally worked it through and decided that he just he just uh, had to do it and 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 would do it. Um, and so the following Saturday, he announced um, he announced that he was running.
2: And you got involved in the campaign, and it was it was a short eighty-two days.
3: What, what eighty-five? What, yeah.
2: Uh, what stands out to you of the campaign oh, that gosh. you remember?
3: Yeah. Oh, I mean, so I much remember.
2: happened. I mean, the, yeah. Well, that's one thing. Were um, you were during that the day King oh, died. Was that what? Were you in Indiana, Indianapolis, the night King died.
3: No, no. Uh, For the first uh, six weeks uh, or so of the campaign, I was running the staff back in the headquarters. Uh, And uh, Adam Walensky and Jeff Greenfield were on the plane. And then uh, they decided uh, about halfway through the campaign that they needed me more out there uh, with them. And I got somebody else to to run that uh, staff. So uh, I saw it first firsthand uh, out there uh, for the last uh, six weeks uh, of it. Um, well, what it was like, he, uh, and, and you have to understand, I mean, you did say, and uh, listeners have to understand how fast this all happened. So March 16th, uh, he, he announces that he's running. As a result of that, Johnson goes out after two weeks. Uh, doesn't want to be um up against kennedy um so that that two weeks uh are 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 one sort of chapter and uh kennedy is uh in uh he's just he he's like he's somebody let him out of a cage um uh, he's just passionate because he's it's all been penned in there for uh, probably for years with with regard to Johnson um so uh th- these were very very uh not only uh, passionate but very strong in their criticism of Johnson and uh and he was getting these phenomenal phenomenal crowds 18,000 uh people in Kansas in a football stadium in Kansas wow. uh, in fact in two places the University of Kansas and, Ka- and Kansas State and uh, state and it's like that uh, well then, in in two weeks, it's gone. And Kennedy, one of the things about Kennedy is for for uh, all of his uh, sort of toughness and ho- how he believed so strongly in the issues, he also had this feeling, which was true when he when he ran in nineteen sixty four for the Senate, uh, he rather liked his opponent, Kenneth Keating. And one of the things that sort of slowed him down to to get up to uh, being very strong. Ah, uh, then, and learning how to c- campaign really was Keating, and then Keating did a couple things that pissed off uh, 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 Kennedy. Anyway, he 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 found his he found his balance then, and similarly here uh, on on May 30th, it's going to be Humphrey. He likes Humphrey. I mean, he understands that Humphrey's for uh, associated with the Vietnam War, so it's nothing about that but then as he's working that out 5 days later dr king is killed um wow. so uh yeah 5 days and then uh, after that uh somehow uh, one of the results of of kennedy uh is he finds his his balance there and some of it is i think he's he's taking up uh, some of the uh, responsibility from King, uh, and it, anyway, it just gets him very, very focused. Uh, and so, uh, from there in, in early April, um, uh, in other words, about, uh, two months, uh, uh, Kennedy is, is quite clear on what he's saying. And, and, uh, he's got, uh, the whole, uh, the purpose and the strategy, I think, um, And what that turns into – and there's a a good book uh, by a man named Thurston Clark um, about the campaign, and it's very well documented – um, he says, it doesn't matter where he goes, he, he, he I mean, he talks about uh, every place he goes, he, he says something about how glad he is to be an ex. And, you know, uh, Ethel says, I hope you go out there on the campaign and you go to ex. And I mean, you know, he would kind of make fun and they would all, everybody would love that. <laughs> um, but he always talked to whether it was white. Uh, black, whether it was uh, uh, urban, whether it was uh, rural, he would talk about uh, the war, and he would talk about race and poverty, and he would talk about that, uh, particularly in talking about hunger in Mississippi, every place he went. and and he also talked a lot about giving people uh, a sense of, of having their own power in this democracy. He would say that to people, which, which uh, it, you know, in, a, in an odd way, it's kind of what Trump said, except uh, Robert Kennedy meant it and, and he knew what he meant. Uh, so that was all clear. And one of the things that was very strong about the possibility that he would succeed is that people knew he was saying the same thing to everybody, and even when they uh, disagreed with him, he was being uh, he was being uh, honest and clear and sincere, and also. The 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 sort of tough side of him is they knew that not only that he meant what he said, but that he would be very committed to do something uh, to to get us to be uh, the better kind of country that we should be.
2: I saw so, a clip uh, with a he speaking to med students. I think it was in Indiana, and they asked, "Well, who's going to pay for these programs?" And he said, "You."
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah, he yeah, was
2: he was honest and something
3: no politician yeah, he, would yeah, would do. R- Right. And he also told those college students that uh, if they were taking getting uh, uh, a pass that they didn't have to go to the army, that that was wrong, uh, that the fight was being done by people who weren't in college and were largely disproportionately people of color. And he took that, took that right to those students saying, uh, you know, what you're doing, taking that, uh, you're just wrong. And, you know, they disagreed, but they they really had to respect that he came and said that.
2: So, uh, on June 5th, you, you left California and went to New York to prepare for... Was New York going to be the final primary?
3: Yes, but I went home to Washington. I never got to... I went to New York then when we had, had went for the funeral.
2: Okay. So, you were... Um, you went back to Washington, and you were getting ready to go to New York for the primary, and... Um, when, and you heard late that night. What was your reaction? Yes,
3: Ma- Ma- Marion and I, uh, we, we, we skipped a little in the story of Marion and Peter here. Uh, from my meeting her, uh, when I went down to Mississippi, uh, I was telling you about hunger, but there was uh, also uh, a relationship that that uh, resulted in, in our getting married. Uh, and so uh, we right. were... Uh, yeah, well, we got married in July and we were essentially engaged or whatever you call it. Uh, and so we were in her um, apartment at 3 a.m. Uh, and we were lying on the floor and the television was on, but we were kind of we were more sleeping than not. And uh, we heard this commotion. And of course, that was he'd been shot. So that's how we found out about it, it was just, of course, just unspeakable.
2: And um, what, what was what was your reaction?
3: It's 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 a it's everything. I mean, it's a combination of somebody uh, on a personal level um, that was very very close, uh, and what a what a tragedy for our, our country. It's all of that, and that and uh, I, I will tell you. I mean, there's one other person. In my life, who I kept, um, I kept uh, uh, having in my dreams was my, my mother, who died when she was 43, and a little bit my father, who died when he was almost 90. But mostly my mother for, for years, and same thing. The only other person tells you how close this all was in my mind was Robert Kennedy. Wow. Um, so it was, it's it really deep.
2: So we have to take our second break, but when we come back, we'll be talking more with Professor Edelman about what Bobby Kennedy means today after these messages. You're listening to Cyber Law and Business Report, only on webmasterradio.fm.
1: Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. Do you look at the task of ranking your site at the top of the search engines like you would climbing the top of Mount Everest? It doesn't have to be. Topseos.com, the independent authority on search vendors. Hi, I'm Montel Williams. Most of you know me as a talk show host, but I'm also an author, actor, single father of four, avid snowboarder, and I'm also a medical marijuana patient. Living with multiple sclerosis, I'm in pain every day. Medical marijuana is my last resort, and it helps me when all other drugs have failed. If you'd like more information about medical marijuana, you can contact the Marijuana Policy Project at mpp.org or call 1-877-JOIN-MPP. Your virtual webmaster frat house. WebmasterRadio.fm. Hey, bring your togas. WebmasterRadio.fm. Thanks for listening. WebmasterRadio.fm. We're everywhere. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on webmasterradio.fm.
2: And we're back and we're talking with Professor Peter Edelman about Bobby Kennedy and the 50th anniversary of his assassination and campaign. And um, you actually, you were involved in the funeral, you helped write the eulogy and took the funeral train to Washington. And and right now there's an exhibit traveling, I know it's in San Francisco or was in San Francisco, about the funeral train. And, uh, and just what a unique experience that was, people lining up all down the eastern corridor to watch the train. What, what was that like?
3: Well, on the one hand, um, it was just um, awful, not... not Oh, because course, he was yeah. dead. Uh, that's on the one hand. And so in some sense, uh, that was the overriding. But at the same time, of course, what was just uh, astonishing was uh, you, you you had to see it. And and uh, all people of all ages and all uh, everything, um, black, white, brown, etc. Uh, in all different kind of signs and, and, and so on. Um, it was just, um, just remarkable. Carrie uh, uh, Kennedy uh, says, or uh, one of the things in her new book, uh, Ripples of uh, Hope, uh, that uh, the passengers remembered five nuns standing on tiptoes in a yellow pickup truck, black militants holding up clenched fists, a white, policeman cradling a black child in his arms and a line of little leaguers standing at attention ac- along the baselines, heads bowed and caps held over hearts. Wow. Yeah.
2: And so we've gone from that moment to you know, a candidate who said, I run for the presidency because I want the United States to stand for the reconciliation of men to um, Mr. Twitter Trump. And what does Bobby Kennedy say for today's politics
3: what he would say if he were alive, I think we know uh, he would if he'd been alive all these years, whether he'd been president or not, but if he'd been serving and being uh part of our life uh it's reasonable to think there wouldn't be a Trump for one reason or another.
2: True. And you uh, do think he would have won. I know, um, I, I got to meet Jeff Greenfield and talk to him about his book and, uh, you know, and then all hell broke. And then I forget the name of the title. Um, and then everything happened, um, where he kind of projected what might've happened had Bobby not been shot. Yeah. Um, sure. and he he predicted he'd be a one-term president. Yeah. But, um, do you well, believe, uh, you know, that,
3: that, <laughs> he's uh, uh he has got a good imagination, uh, we don't know. Um but here's what I think, um, uh, just starting at the beginning, uh, which is uh there is a case it's a case that he would have been nominated. I think it's easier to, to uh hypothesize that uh, he would have beat Nixon. But beating Humphrey is is not something that you can say is necessarily yeah. going to happen, but what here's the case for it? He, he had won a bunch of primaries. He would have won New York as well. Now that was a minority of states for sure at that time, and the decision would be by the power brokers. and And the point is that people like Mayor uh, Daley and and uh, Governor Hughes of uh, New Jersey had actually indicated that they would be support him because it's just power poli- it's politics it's yeah. it's the, the the point is uh, who, who can win and uh Humphrey's a loser so uh, and I had you know that just uh, a couple of weeks ago when when I uh, was out uh, getting a little bit of of media and all of this, a friend of mine that I grew up with in Minnesota uh, wrote me uh, and said he was a delegate in uh, in uh, Chicago uh, and of course Minnesota that's Humphrey right. and David uh, said to me uh, that th- that they're. Uh, uh, their delegation was ready to go for uh, Kennedy. He said, wow. don't believe these uh, these uh, people saying that it couldn't be done. So that's what I think, uh, without proof, obviously, but um, that he would be president. Um, and even if he'd lost, you know, then he could have run against uh, Nixon in 72, etc., uh, and the, sure. the idea that if he'd been elected, he would, I mean, the, the theory of Greenfield is that, uh, Kennedy would have burned up all of his credits. You know, he would have ended the, the Vietnam, Vietnam war, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. And he would have, uh, done all of the efforts that he could about race and poverty and so on. And he would have used up all his credits and therefore he would have lost. That's the Greenfield theory. Um, Anyway, you know that you can make these ideas. Sure. You
2: can... Now, you you wrote in the American Prospect. You have a piece about you know mm-hmm. what um, Bobby Kennedy um, teachings for today. And just so for our listeners, as usual, in our show notes at cyberlawradio.wordpress.com, we have a full in, information about Professor Edelman and links to these articles uh, and information about the campaign. Um, you you posit that a, a a Kennedy presidency would have addressed certain things that, as you mentioned earlier, may not have el- eliminated um, what the the factors that led to a Trump presidency. One, um, dealing with the racial disparity, and two, dealing with income disparity. And because the '70s were that moment in time when we the industrial revolution was kind of shifting away in the United States, and we started having factory closings and you know, the, the economy was retooling and some people were getting left behind and that you believe that Kennedy w- might have had the foresight um, to address that. And one thing I just going to go back to a conversation we had almost 10 years ago that you stressed that what was unique about Bobby was that he wasn't liberal or conservative. he was a little bit of both. And, you know, he would have seen a way to try to you know, take the best from both to try to address issues of economic opportunity like he had done in Bedford-Stuy and elsewhere
3: well he certainly believed uh to to take that first and then come back to the bigger point uh he believed very strongly uh in 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 uh, people having power uh real people in communities uh to have much, a lot more power over decisions that are made in our country and and he did that in terms of community action in the war on poverty and what he did in in uh uh Bedford-Stuyvesant the neighborhood in in Brooklyn uh, so uh that that was a, an approach that was not a traditional uh, liberal thing the bigger point and that's important the bigger point here uh which i mentioned in that piece uh is that if we're going to think about what happened to Roger uh, Robert Kennedy uh and about the country um we did have in beginning uh, taking place uh, probably late 60s, but quite noticeable in the early 70s to, to um, the, the, the uh, changes in uh, the deindustrialization that took place right. where uh, these uh, plants went all over the world. Uh, and left the United States, and left people high and dry. Uh, And what happened is we had these uh, uh, high-wage, terrific jobs that people had in auto and steel and and all of that. You didn't have to have a, a high school graduation diploma either. And so especially in the black community, but also white, of course, uh, people who didn't have that education had the income uh, and wherewithal so that they sent their kids to college uh, and got some notches uh, uh, up the ladder as a consequence. Well, that all went away. Yes. Uh, and and uh, so I don't know, but I know that Robert Kennedy was very smart and, and very thoughtful and very committed to the real people. And uh, I think, therefore, he would have figured out with, you know, with advice and so on, a better strategy than what we did have. And, you know, what we did have was not, not a heck of a lot. Um and the corporations started pushing back. The unions started the, being attacked. Uh, there were attacks on on regulation uh, because the the corporations were feeling squeezed as a result of everything I'm saying. So the regulations they sat still for. They wanted to get rid of them because they were part of the thing that was raising the the cost of things. And so we don't know, but uh, and we certainly have to put that into our thinking because it's it's the heart of where we are in terms of electing Donald Trump. Um, I mean, this is a direct uh, descendant of that that's going on now with the people who uh, didn't whose jobs didn't come back after the Great Recession here a few few years back, and you know they'd sort of seen this whole thing happening, but gradually, and all of a sudden after the end of the Great Recession, and others went back. They just saw that they were left out, uh, and they're furious. And they, as far as they were concerned, both parties had let them down, and Trump was something bi- uh, different, and they would try him. Um, so that's all tied together.
2: Now, we only have a few minutes left, and we were talking offline. You mentioned your your, your grandchildren, who obviously wouldn't have been born you know, during Bobby Kennedy's lifetime, um, or even your children, I guess, for that matter. But um, what do you tell them about Bobby Kennedy when they ask well, what would you tell uh, well, anyone my, who didn't know Bobby Candy? Yeah, what, well, my... Why my, is, my Bobby Candy matters,
3: why? Yes, my, my son is, my first son is, is Joshua Robert um, Edelman. <clears throat> and then there's Jonah, Martin Edelman. Uh, what I would tell them is that this is a, a man who uh, absolutely cared about everybody, and especially people who were marginalized and who really wanted to make this a better world. That he was deeply committed uh, to do something really uh, to make it, make a difference every day. Um, he did, what he did yesterday was yesterday, and today, what, what are we going to do to make a difference? So th- this this sense of, of values and and commitment uh, and respect for uh, for everyone and connecting with people. And have it be uh, uh, truly about uh, peace in our world uh, and and in economic justice, all kind of justice, uh, racial uh, in our in our country. That's what I would tell them.
2: And for those you know, who may not be familiar. Um, even though the campaign ended on June 5th, 1968, you know, professor Edelman has continued to fight these last 50 years, um, in his work, you know, both in law and in, in his work in terms of seeking peace in Israel and elsewhere. And, um, so you definitely look him up. He's someone to, uh, who I, I'm very proud to know and who's really fought the fight these last 50 years. I do have to get in one last question. Um, you, Bobby Kennedy had a daughter who uh, was born after he died. So his his youngest actually um, was born after he died. And in um, 2015, I believe, she was nominated for an, an Oscar for um, her film On the Last Days in Vietnam as a documentary filmmaker. And your youngest, <laughs> um, a year later, actually won the Oscar for that same category. So that's one more similarity you two have.
3: Well, thank you. Uh, Rory's wonderful, and she does great work. And, and of course, we just couldn't be prouder of, of Ezra. For those who don't know, his his film was about uh, O.J. Uh, the the one that's a documentary, not the one with actors. And uh, so, yes, thank you for <laughs> mentioning that, Ben. Thank
2: you. For, so we're out of time, Professor. Thank you very much. It's been a great honor, and thanks again for all of the work you've done. Um, join us next week for another edition of Cyberlore and Business Report. We're talking about Toxic Twitter right here. Check us out on Twitter at Cyberlore Radio. Take care, everyone. Have a great week. The opinions expressed on this
1: program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of WebmasterRadio.fm's management or sponsors.